your Bibles tonight to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. I'll meet you there in a little bit, but uh, for the time being, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. I said earlier that my original intent was to have some Saturday classes called Days of Discovery to where we could take about four or even five hours to deal with one specific subject, and uh, and uh, each month it would be something different. Maybe we can do that sometime in the future, but uh, I felt like it was much better to do it this way because I know everybody, their Saturdays are so, well, taken up. And you work hard all week, and you need some uh, time alone and time to, you know, just to relax, and I, I didn't want to take that, so... Uh, anyway, I hope this is more helpful to you by doing it this way. The wonder of inspiration. Surely, we all now believe that Satan hates the Bible. And, uh, and he has attacked it again and again and again over the centuries. He's berated, banned, burned, bypassed, blamed and blended with human philosophy the Word of God, all in an effort to try to discredit it. And today, I think I can safely say that in a very subtle way, the Bible is under attack as never before. And if there's ever a time, folks, that we needed to understand what we mean by the inspiration of the Bible, uh, it's, it's today. Now, you think about all of the people out here that uh, have not been convinced that the Bible is God's Word. And you know, a lot of them have never even really given it that much serious thought. They just wrote it off somewhere in the past. Well, you know, I just, I can't, I just can't believe all that stuff in the Bible. And they just write it off. And they've never, ever heard anything like what I talked about last week and the reasons why that I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And it's not blind faith. I mean, it is just, it's just logic. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, that's the conclusion that anybody ought to come to. But we've got to remember that we have an adversary, right? And the Bible says the God of this world, speaking about Satan, the God of this world had blinded the minds of those that believe not. So don't just chalk it up to their ignorance. It's more than that. In their unsaved condition, Satan literally has blinded their minds to the Word of God. And you think about where this leaves people. It leaves people without any hope of heaven. It leaves people without any help here on earth in the sense of having any guidance from, from God. They have absolutely no standard by which to govern their lives. I mean, when you stop and think about it, if you don't have the Bible, if that's not the standard, then everybody's just free to do you know, whatever they think is best because your idea is as good as my idea. And it's easy to see where that leads us. Now... I know most people, me included, dislike listening to statistics. Now, some of you, you know, you like the baseball stats or the football stats or the golf score or something like that, but I'm talking about just boring statistics. But, but let me tell you, sometimes it's good for us, and, because, and the reason I say that, we've got to understand what we're up against. We've got to understand uh, the condition that our nation is in. 
And so before I get to the main part of the message, I want to just, I want to throw out some stats tonight, and at the risk of boring you or offending you or, or whatever, I want to mention these things. And I mean, th- this should go on for hours, but it'll just take me a few minutes. Uh, in a sermon by Michael Youssef, and I'm not promoting his ministry, but I'm just referring to him to give him credit where credit is due. But in a sermon by him, and many of you probably listened to him on the radio at different times, but he gave the statistics of a poll that had been conducted, and I'm talking about a large nationwide poll. This is what, what it said. 85% of the students uh, at America's largest evangelical seminary don't believe in the inherency of the Scripture. In other words, they don't believe that it's totally accurate. Think of that, 85%. 74% of the clergy in America no longer believe in the inherency of the Bible. Wait a minute, 74% of all of the preachers in America cannot stand up and say, I believe that this is God's holy, infallible Word. 74%. Do not believe that. In 1987, Jeffrey Hayden conducted a poll of 10,000 American clergy. This is across the board, different denominations and so on and so forth. And they were asked if they believe whether the Scriptures are inspired and inherent is the inspired inherent Word of God. Now, here's the breakdown. 95% of the Episcopalians... 87% of Methodists, 82% of Presbyterians, 77% of American Lutherans, and 67% of American Baptists said no. Now, I've got some advice for those preachers. They need to resign. They need to stop. They need to start doing something honest because what they're doing is not only sinful, it's just flat dab dishonest to stand up there and say you're preaching the Word of God whenever you don't even believe it is the Word of God, deceiving people. Now listen to some stats from the George, uh, George Barna Research Group. And this is, I think, in my mind, the most credible of all of them in America today. And in a survey of church members across America, now get this, All the church members across America, only 41% of all of the adults believe in the total accuracy of the Bible. Just 41% believe as we do that the Bible is 100% accurate. 59% don't believe that. Then in his survey, only 40% believe that Christ was sinless. And only 27% believe that the devil is real. And he concluded by saying the number of people believing the Bible is inerrant will drop. In other words, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it is. It's getting worse all of the time. So now you can see why we're in the mess that we're in. And, and, and as I said, it's going to keep getting worse. So we want to consider what the Bible says about inspiration. Second Timothy chapter number 3. Three things, three main lines of thought, and I know we don't have it up on the uh, up on the screen tonight. And I, the, your notes are laying on Bev's desk, where after she actually left, I laid them over there. I don't know what good that will do, but uh, I wrote it out, and she was in Cincinnati, so 
But three main lines of thought tonight. Number one, the Scriptures were revealed by God. The Scriptures were revealed by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now that is a whole nother sermon right there. But notice just the very first part of this verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase is made up of just three Greek words. In other words, young people, sometimes, you know, it takes eight or ten or twelve English words to translate just three or four Greek words. And this is an instance here of what I'm talking about. There's only three Greek words that make this up. And so we're going to, let's look at the last word first, and we'll work backward. Now notice what it says, by inspiration of God. That's one Greek word, and it means this. Here's the meaning of it. God breathed. All Scripture, what? All Scripture is what? God breathed. That's the meaning of it. And this, listen, this isn't anything new. This, is, this concept is found back in the Old Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, it tells us in Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Job 33 and verse number 4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, now listen, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Psalms 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all of the host of them, by the breath of His mouth. Remember the Bible talks about God speaking and creating, right? By the words, the breath of His mouth, God spoke, and the worlds came into existence. That's the way He created everything. And that's the way that He relayed to us the Bible. The Bible is by the breath of God. It's God breathed. That's why we refer to it as a living book. I said last week, this book is different than any other book anywhere in that this book is alive, and I don't even understand what all that means. I, I'm telling you, it's far beyond my ability to understand. But I'm just saying, this book is alive. That's what the Bible says. It is the living Word. There's life in it. It's more than just a message to us. There's life in it. That's exciting to me to know that when I pick up the Bible that I'm reading a living book. Now, that's what we mean by inspiration. God breathed. Now, notice the, the next word, the word Scripture. Uh, the Greek word is, I don't know for sure how you pronounce it, graphe, I think it is. We get the word graph from it, in other words. And it simply means writings. That's all that it means, writings. All of the writings, the Scripture, are inspired of God. Now, these are the ones that were, what, God breathed. Look at verse number 15, because it shows what he's talking about. The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So that's what he's talking about, right? That that's, puts everything in its context. He's talking about the Holy Scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. These are the Scriptures that he says are what? They are God-breathed. This is the only book of its kind anywhere 
in the world. Now, the third word, notice what else he says. Notice the word, the very first word. What is it? All. You want to guess what that means in the Greek? All or every. Every. All of it. That Simple, right? I mean, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. Right there it is. That's simple. But it's really a very serious thing because a lot of critics claim that there are only certain parts of the Bible that are inspired. Really? Can you believe that? And they read this part over here and they're studying something and, you know, and they come to the conclusion, well, this is inspired, but other parts are not inspired. And a lot of times you've wondered, why, how do they come up with all of these weird ideas that they believe whenever, you know, to you and I, the Bible is so clear about what it teaches. And they simply say, oh, that part wasn't inspired by God. That was just Paul's ideas. That was just Paul's theories. Paul was prejudiced. He was against women. And, oh, my land, it goes on and on and on. And so they just believe that certain parts of it uh, are inspired. Now, others argue that this verse could only have reference to the Old Testament because they say the New Testament wasn't written. But notice again, he says, all, what? All Scripture. He did not say all Scripture from the past, right? He just says all Scripture. And what, he is, what he's doing is simply saying that all Scripture, if it is inspired of God, if it's breathed of God, then it is a part of the Holy Scripture. That includes all of the New Testament. Well, how do I know that? Well, let's ask an expert. And since we don't have any experts here tonight, uh, not at least on the level of this man, let's ask the Apostle Peter. I mean, he ought to know, right? So let's see what he says. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him. Well, who gave him that wisdom? God. Now notice, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, that word, Epistles, young people, means letters, and all of his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other, are you listening? Other scriptures unto their own destruction. Do you see it? As they do what? Other scriptures. It's obvious that Peter believed that what Paul was writing was a part of the Scriptures. I mean, he says so right here. Sometimes you hear preachers speak about, you know, you'll ask them what they believe, and more than likely you'll always hear it at an ordination service. They'll say something like, I believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of the Bible. And, you know, young people especially sitting there scratching their head thinking, what in the world is all that about? Well, verbal simply means words. Plenary means all. They're saying that I believe that all of the words of God are inspired of God, that they've been given by what? The breath of God. That's exactly what they're saying. They are exactly right. And God knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he said it exactly like he wanted to say it. And so here we have confirmation, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
that it is inspired of God. And there shouldn't be any question about that whatsoever. Now, here's the second thing tonight. The Scriptures were recorded by men. Now, remember, they were revealed, given to us by God, right? But God used human instrumentality. Turn over in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what I say next. Listen very carefully. While the Bible says that every word of Scripture is inspired of God, it never says that the men who recorded it were inspired. It never says that. You see, today we oftentimes hear people talk about, you know, somebody that was inspired. Well, they say, you know, God inspired me to write a song. Or God inspired me to write a book. Or God inspired me to preach a sermon. But that's not the idea here in this text. Now, you know, I know what they mean. I'm not going to make a big issue out of that. But it is not inspired in the sense that the Bible is inspired whatsoever. So understand that when the Bible talks about it being inspired, it's not talking about the men being inspired, but the words being inspired. And it's important that we understand that. Now, what does it say about the men, the vessels, the instruments that God used? What does it say about them? It doesn't say they were inspired, but they were what? They were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Spirit of God moved them, motivated them, guided them, led them, empowered them, whatever, however you want to say it. The Spirit of God moved them. This, this word moved is a Greek word that was used in a nautical sense. Whenever a ship was driven by the wind, you know, the ship puts up its sail and the sail catches the wind and it drives it across the sea. That's the idea. Just as that ship is driven by the wind, the writers of the Bible were driven, they were moved by what? The Spirit of God. Now, notice the negative side of this first. Notice what he says. The prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man. That's simply to say the Bible's not the product of man. You've heard preachers say, the Bible is a book that man could not have written if he would, and would not if he could. And that is exactly right. I believe that. Man did not just decide, you know... I think I, you know, I've got a few spare minutes, and I think I've been keeping a journal of following Jesus around. I think I'll just write something out for the next generation. It didn't happen that way at all. That's why you remember the Lord. Last week we talked about the Lord talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament hadn't been written then. What did He say? He said the Holy Spirit will bring all of these things to your remembrance. In other words, you don't need to take notes. 
Uh, you don't need to worry about trying to remember all of this stuff because when you start writing it, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's going to move you to record these things. So that's the negative side. Man didn't do it. Well, if man didn't do it, who did? Well, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, you go through the Bible, and I want you to listen to some of the testimonies of men to whom and through whom God spoke. First of all, Moses. Now, you know, I'm going fast here. You don't need to turn to all of these unless you just want to. But you can jot down the references if you like. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. Moses speaking here. He says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. Now, this is God speaking to Moses and through Moses. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now David, Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was in my tongue. Solomon, Proverbs 22, 20, He says, Have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. And more than 20 times, Isaiah claims that he's writing the words of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And nearly 100 times, Jeremiah says, he's speaking the word of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 10, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all of my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears and go, get thee to them of the captivity and speak unto them and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Daniel chapter 10, verse 9. I heard the voice of His words. Hosea 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Joel 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. Amos 3, 1, hear the word of the Lord. Obadiah 1, 1, thus saith the Lord God. Jonah 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Micah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Micah. Now, listen, we could just go on and on and on and on through the Bible, looking at all of these testimonies where the men say, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, remember what Peter said, that holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so although God used human instrumentality, these men were recording what? The very Word of God, the words that God spoke unto them. And maybe you're here and you think, yeah, but how in the world can we believe all of that? Get the tape from last week and listen to it again. How can you not believe that this Bible is the Word of God? I would disagree with John Wesley about a lot of things, but he made a statement many, many years ago that I agree wholeheartedly with. He was talking about the inspiration of the Bible, and here's what he said. I beg leave to give a short, clear argument for the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. The Bible must be the invention of good men or angels, bad men or devils, or of God. 
It could not be the invention of good men or angels, for they neither could nor would make a book and tell lies all of the time, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when it was their own invention. It could not be the invention of bad men or devils, for they could not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all sin, and condemns their own souls to hell for all of eternity. Therefore, I draw the conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. Dear friends, that is, that's pretty good logic, right? It really is. I mean, a good man would never write something and say, you know, God told me to write this when God didn't do any such thing. And a bad man would never write anything like this that is a condemnation, you know, of himself. He wouldn't do that. We're just left with what? With one choice, and that choice is God. And it's such a wonderful thing to be able to hold in my hand this precious old book and to know that this is the very Word of God and that we can have complete confidence in what it says And that the same God who created the heavens and the earth has given us His very Word. Now, I know maybe some of you are thinking ahead, you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, but but you say we've got the Word of God, but where is it? Because we've got all something like 300 different English versions, and where is it? Because none of these agree with each other. Well, we're going to get to that later on. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time talking about that. And the most important message of all of this is going to have to do with the preservation of God's Word. That will be two weeks from today. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about the formation, the wonder of the formation. How, how, how did the Bible come to us down through the years? It, listen, young people, understand, this wasn't written in English, but we got it in English today. So what happened? How was it? You know, that long, long ago, God gave these men, you know, the Word of God. How was it preserved and how was it formed? It's an amazing story. It really is. You hear, you hear preachers, and this is almost comical. The original manuscripts say, listen, buddy, we don't, nobody has any original manuscripts. They do not even exist. Don't let anybody tell you that the original manuscript says this or that because all they've got is copies of the original manuscripts. Now, that's not bad. That's good. And listen, that's natural. And we'll talk about that later on. So we see then that the Word of God was given to us by the Lord, but given to us through human instrumentality. Now, there's one other thing, a very important thing that we need to think about tonight, and that's this. The Scriptures were received by the churches. Received by the churches. We do not put nearly as much emphasis upon the importance of the church today as we ought to. I can remember a time back when I first got saved and and how that you would go to a preacher's fellowship meeting or even during revival meetings and it was very common to hear someone talking about the nature of the Lord's church. You listen to all of the radio preachers, the only thing you ever hear is misinformation where they they mention the church and they confuse the church with the family of God and talk about a church as though it's some universal, invisible something or another way out there. 
Not any such thing. Indeed, there is the family of God that's made up of, you know, all of those that are saved. No doubt about that. But when the Bible speaks about the church, unless it's using it in a generic sense, we talk about, for example, the family, and we can speak of the family as an institution, right? And so we speak about not a specific family, but when we talk about the family, we speak about it in a generic sense and as an institution. The Bible does, in, in some few occasions, speak about the church in that regards. But the vast majority of the times, when it talks about the church, it's talking about a local, visible congregation. Do you realize there's only one institution on this earth that Jesus Christ started? Just one. That was a church. Think about that. I mean, listen, that ought to, that ought to tell us something about how important the church is. He didn't start a social club, a political party, anything else. He started a church. 1 Timothy 3.15. Now, this is why it's important right here. I said the Scriptures were received by the churches. Now, notice here, he, Paul tells us the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. This institution that Jesus Christ started is the custodian and the conveyor of truth. And the New Testament writers delivered their letters to various churches that existed. By the time the apostles died, the New Testament was complete. And over in the very last letter, last chapter, I want you to listen to what John says Chapter 22 of Revelation and verse number 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Boy, that's serious stuff, folks. God just saying, don't you mess with my word. And it was completed when the apostles died. And remember, it has been given to various churches. Church at Jerusalem, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Ephesus and Colossae, and on and on and on. Those churches, and we're going to talk about this next week in the formation of the Bible, those churches in possession of these letters shared these letters together as they were read in the congregations and copies were made and the churches eventually were supplied, each church supplied with a complete Bible. And here's what Jude says. Earnestly contend for the faith. Now, he's not talking about faith in the sense of confidence and trust. Whenever you see the phrase, the faith, that has to do with the body of truth or doctrine that we believe. The faith. Earnestly contend for the faith, which was once, what's the next word? Help me here, you know. Which was once... Delivered. See, you got it. It was delivered, which was once delivered unto the saints. You see, God gave it. He used men to record it, and then it was received by the churches. And I want to, I want to show you how serious this is. Look in Second Thessalonians just a minute. 
Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye... Some folks don't like this, but this is the Bible. That ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye received of us. Look at verse number 14 now. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. This has to do with church discipline. Someone handed me the other day, uh, see, I believe it was Don, and uh, had given me some documents and papers and what have you, and uh, I haven't had time to really go through it or anything like that, and I'm, but I, I just saw enough that I know I, I don't really need to, because it deals with the matter of church discipline and, and, and how important it is and the steps that we use when we're going through it. And I'm telling you today, it's almost a forgotten thing that we ought to realize that we're living under the commandment of God Himself. We're obligated to discipline those that do what? Those that walk unruly, those, and we could go on and on, those that create divisions in the church and hinder the church, but specifically those that reject and deny and twist and pervert the Word of God. He says, I want you to separate yourself from people like that. If they're introducing heresy in the church, creating division in the church, he says, don't have any fellowship with them. Separate yourself. Now, Church discipline is not about getting even with somebody. It's not about punishing people. What did, what did Paul say? That they might be what? Ashamed. In other words, you're trying, to, you're trying to awaken them to the seriousness of the sin in their life. Church discipline is about training and, and making an effort in demonstrating our love and concern for them and our love and concern for God's Word that will make them aware of their sin and they'll turn back to God. It's not You're not trying to get rid of people. You're trying to get people right with God, you see. Now, the only reason I brought all of that into it is to say this. The Word of God, although recorded by man, was received by the churches. And these are the true churches. And, and if, if you've never really studied church history, let me just tell you right now, that although not by name, but right back all the way back to the very earliest time in the history of the church, there have been churches of like faith as Baptist churches today. They go back, and I could give you the testimony of men, of historians, of all different denominations, and the one thing they all have to agree on, whether they like it or not. Now, some of them thought we were... Heretics say some of them thought we were crazy and everything else, but they all have to admit the historical record is that the Baptists go back further than anybody else, even all the way back, as some have said, to the very time of that first church. That's important that we understand this. Why? Because the church, the Lord's church, the true churches, those that are scriptural, they are the, con the conveyor and the custodian of the truth of God's Word. That's quite an awesome responsibility, is it not, for us as a church to contend for the faith which was once delivered 
unto the saints. And that's why we cannot remain silent when all of this large percentage of not just people, church members in general, but this large percentage of so-called preachers say they do not believe that the Bible is infallible. They believe it's full of errors. They say they don't believe that it is inspired of God. Well, how in the world? I mean, if you believe that, why would you? Why would you? Why would you even go on pretending that there's anything at all to Christianity? I mean, if I didn't believe every word of this was true, I'd quit preaching right here tonight. I'd walk out of this pulpit and go my way and uh, go fishing. That's what I'd do. It wouldn't be. I mean, if this is all a big lie, what in the world sense does it make to keep pretending? You know. I want to know that it's true. And the thing about it is, folks, there's so many different versions. And they don't even, and I think, I always think about these kids. And I'm going to talk a lot about this later on. Because I always think about these kids. And you know, if I can't believe one part of the Bible, then I can't believe any of it. And so how in the world can we expect our young people to believe that we have the infallible Word of God when all of the different copies that, that are available today and I guarantee you, whenever you go to the bookstore, I guarantee you, they're not going to try to sell you the copy of the one I've got in my hand. I'll guarantee you that. I've had some good arguments and discussion there. I butted in the sales and before I heard somebody come in, I'm looking at books and they say, I'm looking for a good Bible. What should I get? And boy, they say, well, this is what you want. And I say, no, that's not what you want. And I mean, I... <laughs> You know, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just I'm trying to get them to see, wait a minute, there's something, there, there's something wrong with this picture. Because, I mean, if this doesn't agree with this, then one of these is wrong, and we better figure out which one's wrong, or we can't have confidence in anything. Amen. So I just hope and I pray that nobody thinks I'm just nitpicking and trying to be argumentative. I'm just saying, as I did this morning, if you think all of that was just nitpicking, understand, we need to be as precise as we possibly can when it comes to the Word of God. And I'm convinced that all of us here tonight, that we want one thing. We want to please God, right? We want to do what is right. We want to follow what is right. And uh, so, uh, just pray that God will help us to take a stand in the midst of these dark days when perversion abounds on, on every hand. And I'm so glad. I, I got a, a, two different letters, two different groups this week. In fact, uh, ministries... Uh, Printing absolutely nothing but the King James Version because it's getting really difficult uh, to even even find it today. And I mean, you got to really look for it. And so there's some ministries out there that you know we we need to support. And let me tell you, there are a lot of good people on both sides of the issue, and there's some real skunks on both sides of the issue. Now I'm I didn't even say this, but I'm going to I'm going to just wrap it up by saying this. Here's one of the things that's hindered. There's a fellow by the name of Peter Ruckman. Anybody ever heard of Peter Ruckman? Good. That I'm not even going to say anymore. You never heard of him? No need me. I, I mean, he is an absolute, well, I'm not even going to say it, I, you know. I mean, I can say it without getting vulgar, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm still not going to say it. You don't know anything about him. You don't need to know anything about him. He's, uh, all I'll tell you is, he is he's a fanatic on the King James Version, and he has gone completely nuts out in left field. I said I wasn't going to say it, but there it is. Don't get none of his stuff, whatever you do. Let's stand together.
Heavenly Father, tonight we're so thankful that we can stand here with confidence in our heart that you have indeed given to man your very words. And as we'll see later on, and as we've read and studied, and we look into your word and see that you promised that you would preserve your word. And Heavenly Father, there's a lot of people that believe that you gave it. A lot of people believe that men recorded it. A lot of people believe the churches received it. But a lot of those same people do not believe that you have preserved it. And I'm so thankful that you never lie and that we can have this wonderful assurance in our heart that you have given us your word. Now, Lord, help us to not help us to not go around beating people over the head and embarrassing people and hurting people. Help us to be more concerned about putting what we know into practice. Doing what your word tells us to do. So many times we criticize those that we don't agree with. And at the same time, we prove ourselves to be worse than they are by making no effort to put your word into practice. So may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. And as we sing so often, that little chorus that says, bind us together, that's what we want, Lord. But we want to be bound together in the cords of truth and love. And so help us that we might be a shining light, a testimony in our community. Not known for all of the things that we stand against, but help us to be known for what we stand for. And that's you the true and the living Word. In Jesus' name, 